The Bible says that we are to bring a sacrifice of praise. And what just was rising up in my heart is, if you don't bring a sacrifice of praise, you'll be sacrificing something, and it'll be your spirit man that wants to worship God. You'll be giving it to your flesh and just allowing it to rule over you. Or me. doesn't matter. The Lord is saying, let it be a sacrifice of praise, meaning put your flesh on the altar and not your spirit. And worship Him with everything that's in you. Worship Him because He is worthy of all our praise. Worship Him because of His salvation. Worship Him because He is good. Worship Him because He is holy. Worship Him because He loves you. Worship Him because He has saved you. Worship Him for who He is. Just for who you are, Lord. Just for who you are, God. Just for who you are, God. Just for who you are, God. Father, we come together in this place to lift up the name of Jesus. And I say, flesh and emotion will not hinder that. I say, your will be done what you want. Father, I pray for me that I would be sensitive to what you want done, what you once said, And that, Father, we would all be sensitive to what you're doing 
in each and every one of us here and watching so that the completeness of your desires would be made manifest in us in this service. In Jesus' name, Amen. We were singing a song earlier. It really kind of fits in with what I'm going to be sharing with you. And the title of the song is, God, I Look to You. And here is the verse. God, I look to You. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like You do. God, I look to You. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. The chorus says, I will love you, Lord, my strength. I will love you, Lord, my shield. I will love you, Lord, my rock. Forever, all my days, I will love you, God. What's interesting is that this song, and the verse especially, identifies some things that I was praying about prior to our praise and worship, prior to the beginning of the service. God, I look to you, I won't be overwhelmed. In the midst of that, as we were singing it, he began ministering to me, And what I'm getting ready to share, well, it struck me first because I was the first to hear it. But it's going to strike you too, those listening, those watching, probably all of us. Consider this, I'm going to to say this, read this again, as though it is a prophecy from the Lord. Okay? So just imagine God saying the following. You sing, God, I look to you, I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. You sing that to me. And yet, you say, I don't know what to do in given circumstances. When you say, I don't know what to do, then you are not looking to me. You are overwhelmed. You're not truly trusting me for vision to see things the way I do. You're not truly looking to me, believing that I am where your help comes from. And you really don't believe that I know just what to do and can give you the wisdom for the decisions. As he was ministering that to me, I realized, you know, (laughs) that's true. Because if I'm looking to him, I'm not going to fuss and complain about, well, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Let's be honest. When we say that, it's because we're overwhelmed. 
And we're not supposed to be overwhelmed with anything. If we truly believe that God has the wisdom for every situation that we face in life, we will never fuss and complain with, I don't know what to do. Instead, we would say something like, God's revealing to me what I'm supposed to do. God's going to show me what I'm supposed to do. God's going to give me the wisdom for this. Do you you understand what I'm saying here? It's so easy to get caught up in this, and we don't even realize we're doing it. I'm guilty. I don't know what to do. Like, well, okay, then you must not be looking to me then. (laughs) You must not be trusting me. You must be overwhelmed. There are people in this room listening and watching. Right now, you're overwhelmed. And there is no justifiable reason to be overwhelmed. Not if we're trusting God. Adverse circumstances exist. Now, that's just the way it is. But to become overwhelmed to the point of exasperation, frustration, confusion, and I don't know what to do. It means that we have allowed the circumstances to disrupt the peace that passes all understanding. And we're overwhelmed. As of this day, this moment, never again in our lives, those of us who are hearing this, never again in our lives can we justify that position. Because God in this service is giving us the revelation of what's really going on. And so from this point on, I I trust that God will, in a most loving and yet um, taking a stand and not backing down way as a father, if I do this, I hope he corrects me. Jim, you're not trusting me. Why are you overwhelmed? You're not looking to me. I have the wisdom. I have the answer. And I hope he does it for all of you as well. See, we cannot move into the revival God wants when we go from time time of, uh, well, this time and then later on and then later on of I don't know what to do. We can't do that. I want you to think about just the four Gospels. Did Jesus ever not know what to do? There were times the apostles and those traveling with him didn't know. So he would tell them, here's what we do. Do you realize that in Scripture, over in Hebrews, first chapter, it tells us, he speaks today. He speaks to us today. So therefore, if we sit and we, we, we really don't know at this moment what to do, but we know He speaks to us, then I know I will know what to do. That means I am in the process of receiving the instructions. I want to see things like you do. Oh God, I just don't understand what's going on. I just don't understand what's going on. Well, that's true. A lot of times we don't. But instead of fussing about it the way that we do, 
and we don't mean to fuss about it. We don't mean to murmur. We really, that's not our, our intent, but that's what's going on. It's because we still haven't learned to fully trust Him. God, I may not know what's going on. I may not understand it right now, but I do know this. You can give me vision to see things the way you do. It's not complicated. It's a matter of trust. And what we do, the opposite of all of, all of this is the fact that we're trusting in ourselves. And we don't think we are. And all too often, we seek counsel from others. I just don't know what to do. Sometimes crying. I just don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. Then how can we justifiably stand in a church service and sing, God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. God, give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. I mean, really, how can we justify singing that if we're overwhelmed? If out in the parking lot, we're just devastated, we're bringing that in with us, and then we're singing a song like this, really, we're kind of like hypocrites. Because then, what, we leave and go back out to the parking lot, we're in the car, start crying again, or whatever it is, because we're overwhelmed. I remember, I'm not, listen, this is not a um, stomp on your toes correction from God. This is a revelation from Him that we didn't understand until now. Receive it this way. I am. <laughs> I'm receiving it this way. Because, I, you know, as He was ministering to me while I'm, you know, hearing this. And I'm thinking back to these times, God, I just don't know what to do. It's like, well, okay, look to me. It's like, okay, from this day forward, <laughs> something's got to change in me. I can't sing this and live another way. This, what I just sang this morning, has to be me. Got to be. Several years ago, I was going through just a lot of emotional stuff. And I mean, I was just overwhelmed. <laughs> I was frustrated. I was this. I was that. I was all kinds of... Then all of a sudden, it hit me. And I started thinking, why am I feeling this way? Why am I feeling this way? And I realized... Okay, I don't have a reason to feel this way, regardless of what's happening and what went wrong or this or what. It, irrelevant. Why am I feeling this way? I don't have a reason to feel this way because I'm a child of God. And I made a decision. I'm not going to feel this way. Do you hear me? God didn't walk in. I was at home in my office in the basement. It used to be the, the coal bin in our house. Seven by nine. It's not a very big office. I was in there. God didn't walk in, tap me on the shoulder. I'm here for you, Jim. Give him a big old hug. Big old holy smoochie on the cheek. Didn't do that. No, what happened was this. 
I made a decision. And that decision came from who I am in Christ. And I said, literally, I didn't scream, I didn't shout, I just said, I'm not going to feel this way. I'm not, I'm, I refuse. I am not going to feel this way. I refuse. And I, and I started worshiping the Lord. And guess what? I stopped feeling that way. And some people might say, well, yeah, but you're a pastor. Now, I'm just going to give you a heads up. Don't ever come to me and say that. Now, I'll be nice to you, but the back of my neck will be getting red. And what's that? Some people got his dander up. You know, I didn't even know I had dander. But the anger will begin rising in me, but I will control it unless you argue with me. Because see, if you're a child of God, you're, you're a child of God before you are an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. So, so don't give me this where you're a pastor. No, I made the decision. When Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, he meant you make the decision. In other words, God's not going to do it for you. God will never interfere with you letting your heart be troubled unless you want him to. And so I, I decided, I'm not going to feel this way. No. No, I'm not going to feel this way. Then there was another time. I'm in my office, and it, it seemed like everything was going wrong. Now, everything wasn't going wrong, but it was just, it was one thing after another. And I was really getting, you know, just, ah, ah. What is, what? And then finally, I just stopped. And I, I, <laughs> I don't remember my exact words. I don't think I used any choice words as I was addressing the devil. You know, it's kind of weird. In a way, I don't feel like, I don't feel as guilty using bad words if I'm talking to the devil. <laughs> Okay, I don't want you to think I go around cussing all the time. Okay, please don't. I just stopped right then. Right in the middle of whatever it was I was doing. And I said, that's it. In the name of Jesus. You demons, get out of here. Go. This ends right here. I forget exactly what. But I mean, I took a stand. I got verbally violent. I mean, I got, there was an increase in the volume. At that time. And you know what happened? Everything changed. From that moment on, there were no more stuffing things going on. I'm serious. It ended right then. Everything. I'm saying that because there are too many people, and, and some of you are in this room and listening and, and, and all watching. You're not making the right decisions. You're, you're allowing yourself to be overwhelmed. And it's your fault. Nobody else's. 
And the reason God's sharing this this morning is because there are some things in us that need to be corrected for us to go forward. It needs to be done. You know, one of the, I guess one of the, the more difficult aspects of pastoring is sometimes pastoring is parenting. And sometimes things need to be addressed and it's not always, you know, a pleasant thing, but you need to understand. See, God addresses it with me. It's not like he says, stand up there and tell everybody this stuff and then you do whatever. No, it doesn't work that way. And uh, there's some of you, you're just making the wrong decisions. And you're allowing yourself to be overwhelmed and all this other stuff. Just, just, you're just allowing it. And then another thing that you're not doing that you need to do is you need to take a stand against the devil. You need to take a stand against it. And you're not doing it. Some of you are a bunch of wimps. Because there's something on the inside of you that's saying take a stand and you're not doing it. And you're letting the devil do a bunch of whatever in your home, in your lives, in your finances, and you're not taking a stand. And I mean, when I say take a stand, I mean, bless God, cut loose. Don't get all mamby-pamby now, devil in Jesus. No, I'm talking about you physically. Stomp your foot and take authority. Go through, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there are times when Jesus encountered devils and they would say something like, have you come to torment us before the appointed time? Here's what's incredible. They knew who he was. They knew who he was. More so than the people. <laughs> Do the demons know who you are? Do they? Do they have any kind of fear of us showing up? Jesus shows up the Gadarenes, and that guy was in the tombs wailing and moaning and cutting himself with stones and supernatural strength because of the demons breaking chains and all this. Jesus steps out of the boat on the shore. The guy comes running down, falls before him. Jesus, please don't torment us. And it's like, now I'm making this conversation, you know, my version said, you guys are going to have to go out of him. Who are you anyway? Legion, we are many. All right, well, it doesn't matter how many. You have to go. Well, can we at least go into the pigs? Well, if you want to live in a pig, have at it. Okay. And they leave the guy. He's delivered. Some of you, you know what? You need to take a stand. Now, I mean this. You got crap going on in your homes that shouldn't be going on. Take a stand. Take authority. Remember when Jesus walked into the temple? <laughs> What'd he do? He dealt with all the junk that was in God's house. Your home. It's supposed to be a haven of rest. Take a stand. Now this is from God because when he says in here that if you believe you're going to be able to cast out demons, what... It's not just a matter of finding people that are drooling and, and chewing on trees and casting demons out. No. Cat, where are they? Cast them out. Cast them out. Cast them out. Stop putting up with this stuff. And some Christians have been so weak in this area. That the first it's the first time you try to do this, it might be like those times the seven sons of Sceva, they tried to cast the devil out of this guy, 
you know, we adjourn you in the name of Jesus. And that, that devil speaks through that fellow and says, um, you know, Paul, I know, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, but who are you? And beats, off, beats him up, rips their clothes off, and they go running naked down the street. Okay, you know what? Sometimes, because you just haven't done this, you may have to stay with it. You may have to stay with it. And I mean raise your voice. Get holy anger. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. You know what? Where you live is supposed to be a house of the Lord. Exercise the judgment in these things. Now all of this, it's leading up to something specific. It's just that this was all the add-on that God added on prior to coming up here. One of the things he shared with me, just right there, standing, we're worshiping and all. He said, and not just to us, but kind of a, a general statement for the body of Christ. He said, you've become too dependent on electricity. And I knew what he meant. If the electricity goes out, we don't have any instruments. We don't have any microphones. Can we praise and worship without electricity? Do you understand what I'm saying? Would your voice be as loud without the electricity as it is with it? It better. It better. I never thought of that before. I thought, boy, you know, that's right. Well, pretty much anything God says is right. But I'd never really thought of it like that before. And, and that's true. As the body of Christ, we've become too dependent on electricity. I mean, in some of these churches, it's really bad. Because they've got so much going on as far as flashing lights, fog machines, and, you know, nature backgrounds and so forth on their screens. What would they do if they suddenly didn't have any of that? I don't know. Hopefully they'd carry on. Really. I hope they would. But we're de- we are too dependent on electricity, generally speaking, as the body of Christ. Maybe not you. And maybe not our congregation. But we should be able to, to just worship at full volume without it. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. When we have people come over to visit, Kathy goes into hyper-cleaning mode. And, and I get kind of drafted into it. Can you help me? It's like, well, I knew this was coming. Just, yes, I can help you. And a lot of things get cleaned that normally don't get cleaned. You understand what I mean by that? I mean, you know, you clean stuff, but then if somebody's coming over, it's like, oh, well, now we got to really clean things. Because we want people to think this is how we live all the time. <laughs> I have no idea why I brought all that up. <laughs> yes, like God says, you're on your own now. <laughs> 
That's the way it is. Yeah, thank you. You just reminded me why I said that. That's what's going on here. We want revival, right? But if we're going to have the kind of revival that God wants, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be cleaned up that normally isn't dealt with. It's just like too dependent on electricity. Who thought of that? You know, you know what I mean? Okay, well, in other words, we've got to be ready to worship the Lord if the electricity goes out and carry on. Some people may think, well, that's kind of weird. It's not weird. You know, they didn't have electricity 2,000 years ago. I mean, it, it existed. They just hadn't, quote, discovered it. So we have to we have to address things I've addressed so far in this service, and we have to address things as we are progressing further into God for revival. The kind of revival He wants. Call it the end time revival, however you want to term it. Now, a lot of this has to do what I'm sharing today. The focus is praise and worship. But if you think about what was shared here at the beginning up to this point, it's kind of like pray, the, the theme of praise and worship was like in the background of what the Lord was having me share. Now look in Isaiah 14. Now this is a prophecy. Stop right there. Um, let me help you understand something. One of the best ways to understand a lot of the prophecies in the Old Testament is to, to realize that many of them are metaphors, analogies for today. Because sometimes if you look at a prophecy and you just read it, you may think, well, I, I don't know how that applies today. But when you begin to understand the imagery that God is putting in that prophecy, then you begin to understand, okay, yeah, I, that's for me, or that's for today, that's for what's happening now. Now, what we're getting ready to read here in Isaiah chapter 14, this is a prophecy, a declaration to Satan. In Isaiah 14, verse 11, Thy pomp, that word pomp, oh, and before we go any further, we're going to read something here, we're going to read something over in Ezekiel, and... I I started to go through and bring out a bunch of the Hebrew words and all kinds of definitions. Like, nope, nope, I, I didn't have peace in doing that. So I'll just briefly reference some of them. You can research the details later on. He says, thy pomp, that word pomp, is, you know, arrogance, is brought down to the grave. Remember in Scripture it talks about pride goeth before what? Yeah, a fall, a destruction. He says, thy pomp, thy arrogance is brought down to the grave and the noise of thy veals, that's an instrument. The worm is spent under thee and the worms cover thee. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Uh, now that phrase, above the stars of God, that's not talking about the stars you see in the sky. That is a phrase that is making reference to, first and foremost, the angels. Meaning, I will become greater than anything that God has created, any being. 
I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. That's In uh, Ephesians, it talks about how that when we're born again, we're seated in Christ, you know, in the heavenly places. Okay, this is talking about I will seat in a place of authority. That is, I will be in a place of ruling and reigning. I will, verse 14, ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Or I will be, one way to say that would be, I will be identical to the Most High. I will be as God. And God says, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. Now jump over to Ezekiel 28. So we see the pride. But we also see a reference there, the veals, we see a reference to instruments. And the instruments are connected with the I will, I will, I will. So we pick this up in Ezekiel 28, and again, this is a prophecy. It says, uh, verse 12, Son of man, take up a... In fact, if you go back and start in verse 1, and we won't do that right now, but if you go back and you start in verse 1, and you read this as though it is a... De- uh, a declaration, a prophecy, a rebuke from God to the devil, it'll tend to make a whole lot more sense. But we're just going to pick it up in verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Now, when he says the king of Tyrus, it sounds like he's talking about somebody in the natural, but he's not talking about someone in the natural. What he's talking about is who's actually the, um, the call it the power behind what's happening here. He says, take up a lamentation upon the uh, king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, gold, He says, now look at this, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Now, this word workmanship, in this passage, that Hebrew word means ministry. Ministry. The ministry of thy tabrets, thy pipes, it's talking about music. And just, you know, kind of cut to the chase, it's talking about praise and worship here was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. So this is identifying that Lucifer, or Satan, was a created being. And he talks about, now let me just paraphrase it here, the ministry of music and praise and worship was prepared in thee. In thee. Now, this does not mean that he had things that looked like instruments hanging on his body. It means that within him was the ability to either play these instruments or, and and it's kind of vague the way that this is written, uh, the Hebrew words, you know, I'm not totally clear on this, and a lot of the experts aren't either. But it's either that he could play these instruments with great proficiency, or he was able to make sounds that were like the instruments. I mean, how many of us have pretended we were making the sound of a guitar? Or drums. You know what I'm saying? Goofing around, just making, you know, oh, listen to the trumpet, and all that. Well, that's kind of what this is talking about here. And it all has to do with praise and worship. And he says in verse 14, 
Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Now where he says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. All right. This phrase, the anointed cherub that covereth. The image that this is presenting is, he is, uh, you know, um, when we talk about cherubs, usually you see them uh, depicted as these, you know, cute little chubby babies with rosy cheeks. Okay, that's not a cherub. Okay, a cherub has tattoos that says born to kill. All right. <laughs> I made that part up. But cherubs, you don't mess around with a cherub. Okay, they're not cute little rosy cheek baby looking angel things. They're not. That's man's way of twisting what is in the Word of God. And so this whole thing of the cherub, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. It's the image of him having all this ability to sing and to worship and the instruments and so forth. And where it says the anointed cherub that covereth, it's presenting a, um, a picture of when he does this, that there is this, and I'll just use this term, like a cloud of glory that begins to be created or begins to manifest as he is worshiping, as he is singing, as he is making these sounds with these instruments, as he's leading the praise and worship. That the glory begins to, to manifest. And it says here, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, I have set thee. I have set thee. In other words, God said, God is saying, I put this in you so that when you do this, when you begin to praise me and you begin to worship me, that glory is going to manifest. I have set this in you. And he says, And I have set thee so... Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God that was walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. So then what we see here in the first few verses, like verses uh, you know, uh, 12, 13, 14, 15, what we see is God saying, here's the way it was supposed to be. This was my original intention. And this is the way it would have been forever until iniquity was found in thee. Or now it isn't that uh, God put the iniquity in him. You know, he made a decision. I will ascend. I will be. Okay, the iniquity was the pride. That was the, the seed of it. And he says in verse sixteen, By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. In other words, I mean this is King Jamesy. He's saying, by the multitude of all this stuff going on, the iniquity that's in you, he said, you know, it's filled you with violence. Well, what, what was one of the main things that led to the destruction of, of the early world through the flood? It was, the world was filled with violence. See this? And he said, therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Now this, uh, because of thy beauty, it's not simply a matter of, wow, 
you're, you're really handsome. No, it's also a matter of anointing. Anointing. My, thine heart was lifted up. Not only were you beautiful, but you had a beautiful anointing. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. You have corrupted your wisdom. In other words, you've gone from what you knew to be right and doing it to rethinking everything and coming to a totally incorrect conclusion about what should be, could be, and is, and is going to be. He said, your wisdom is it's corrupted because of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee. And I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. Now, in Scripture we know the day is coming when Satan is going to be cast into the lake of fire forever. This is not saying that God is going to vaporize Satan. He's talking about the day is coming, you're going to be in the lake of fire forever, and those who are with me, you will not be known in our midst. You will not be here. Okay, now. Here what we see is God's intention for praise and worship. It is supposed to come forth and His glory is to accompany it. Now there is an example in Scripture that helps us understand the image being presented here in Ezekiel. And that is over in Second Chronicles chapter 5. Turn over there. Second Chronicles chapter 5. And begin reading in verse 13. It came even to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one. Now, do you see this? It's like a reflection of what Lucifer had with the singing and with the, the instruments. As the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord... And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. This is revealing to us what we read about over there in Ezekiel, this is giving us more detail of what it would have been like. Only, it would have been far greater in magnitude over in Ezekiel than what we're seeing right here. But this helps us understand. Right now, turn over to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. In verse 23, Jesus says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So, here he says, Jesus is saying, the time has come when the true worshipers are going to be able to worship the Father in spirit and in truth because this is what He's looking for. Now, He had it 
originally with Lucifer. Then he had it originally with Adam and Eve. But since Adam and Eve fell, Genesis 3, from Genesis 3 up until Jesus, 4,000 years basically, God did not have what he was seeking. When Jesus was born, he had within him that life and nature of God. And so when he worshipped, he was able to worship God in spirit and in truth. But you'll notice this is talking in the plural. And so essentially what this is saying is the time has come when God is finally going to again have what he wanted way back even before humanity was created, even before the universe was created. He wanted it back with Lucifer, and Lucifer messed up. He wanted it with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve messed up. But now, now the time has come when this can be restored. When the true worshipers are going to be able to worship Him in spirit and in truth. See, Satan can no longer do this. Because if the true worshipers are going to worship God in spirit and in truth, Satan no longer has a spirit that is capable of worshiping God in this way. It can't happen. He's a lost cause for all eternity. And these preachers out there that tell you there's coming a day of ultimate reconciliation for Satan, that he too will be restored back to the Father? No! Don't you believe that? He will be cast into the lake of fire forever. And so Jesus is saying, look, the time has come when the true worshipers are going to be able to do this. Okay, this right here tells you that this is what God is wanting. This is what He's wanted all along. It's what He's been waiting for. Therefore, if we as believers aren't worshiping, we're not giving Him what He's looking for. It's not happening. Oh God, what do you want from me? Well, <laughs> why don't you read John 4, 23 and 24? And you're going to know one aspect of what I want from you. And if you don't, if you come into this church and you kind of sit around, you just don't do anything, and you don't, you know, you are not giving God what He wants, no matter what you think. You're not. What you're doing is saying, I will do it my way. You're leaning more in the direction of Satan. When God says, this is what I'm looking for, then you know what? You ought to at least have the integrity as a Christian to give Him what He's looking for. Now look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Okay. What happened in the Old Testament when they brought the, 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 the ark into the temple and the priests, the musicians, the singers became as one, worshiping the Lord, the beauty of holiness, His mercy endureth forever. What happened? The glory of God filled the temple. It filled it. Here we see that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
God's looking for people that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Do you understand that the first temple God is going to want to fill with His glory is you? I just wish I could have more of God. Not a problem. Worship. See all that happened back there in Chronicles when they brought the ark in and they sing and they worship and the glory filled the house, filled the temple. Do you realize that's a type and shadow? That is a prophecy for the church. And it's not simply a matter as we come together and we begin to worship God that His glory fills the room where we are, the physical room. That's true. But it's also us as individuals. Listen. The whole thing of the overwhelmed, when you're worshiping God and you're giving Him what He wants, I'm telling you, you cannot continue to worship the Lord and continue to feel overwhelmed. You can't. Either the feelings of overwhelmed will silence your lips or you're going to press through with that worship and you're going to drive the overwhelmed out. The depression, you drive it out. I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about. This is the Word of God. You know, a lot of a lot of people out there, they want to find, oh, i gotta, I got to go, you know, for therapy. Why? Well, I just don't know what to do. Why don't you worship for a while? Why don't you worship for a while? Now, in this, he says, no, you not. You're the temple. You're the temple. You need to worship. You need to praise Him. And let His glory fill you, the temple. And over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We begin, just take a look here in verse 15. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit. And I will sing with the understanding also. Else, when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that accompany, that occupieth the room of the unlearned say, Amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest. So, what we see here in verses 15 and 16 is the fact that this Singing in the Spirit and singing with the understanding, it's not just a matter of you doing it at home alone. This is also talking about in a congregational setting. This means that 1 Corinthians 14, 15, praise and worship should be taking place in churches. Now, it does here, but in too many churches it doesn't. If the Apostle Paul is teaching the Corinthians, here's what, what I do. Here's what needs to be done. And then in another place in 1 Corinthians, he talks about, you know, Timothy is going to teach you the same things I teach you, that I teach in every church where I go. That means this concept was taught wherever Paul went. That means singing in the Spirit and singing with the understanding is something that ought to be going on. It should happen. And you can say, well, you're just being legalistic. No, I'm being scripturalistic. This is what is in the Bible. And now if you're not doing it, then you're not fully giving God what He wants. I'm not trying to be mean to you. What I'm saying is these are some of the things that need to be corrected for us as we go further into revival. Because God wants His glory to fill the house, to fill the temple. Not just our personal temple, but He wants, it to, he wants His glory to fill where we are when we're gathered together. And He tells us in Scripture how this can happen. But not only that, look over in Psalm 22. Psalm chapter 22. God says right here, verse 3, 
But thou art holy, O thou, that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Okay, so God says, here's what I want. I'm looking for those who will worship me in spirit and in truth. And now that you're born again, you have the ability to do that. This is what I seek. This is what I want from you. I reciprocate by filling your presence with my glory. I inhabit your praises. I, you do that. You give me what I'm looking for and I reciprocate by inhabiting. Meaning, I move in. I take up a position of residence in your praise and worship. I fill it. I release my glory. This is something that we need to be at a place of seeing increased here in our church. I'm not, when I say increased, I'm talking about what we as an individual do during the times of praise and worship. Every single one of there's some folks in here, and I'm, I'm not trying to be mean, guys, but men, there's some people, they, you just don't get it. You just flat out don't understand all this that God has said over the years about praise and worship, this message today. This is not about trying to make you feel weird. or, or what. This is a revelation of what God is saying in His Word. God, what is your will? I want to know your will. And God says, okay, well, here's part of it. Here's part of it. And, and if you can't do or won't do what you know you can do, and I'm stomping on my own toes here in different things, then how in the world can we expect the fullness of everything God can do to take place? This is, this is critical. But there's another aspect of this. Look in Psalm 149. Psalm 149. And here in Psalm 149, just pick it up in verse 1. Praise ye the Lord... Sing unto the Lord a new song and His praise in the congregation of saints. Now stop right there. First off, where it says, Sing unto the Lord a new song. That word new, it means a fresh new thing. Now, prophetically, this would be talking about, or this would include singing in the Spirit. Because when you're singing in the Spirit, you're singing a new song unto the Lord. So well, how do you know it's a new song? Do you know the words? <laughs> no. And where he says, sing unto the Lord a new song, that word song, it comes from the Hebrew word and it's talking about a joyful song opposite of a funeral dirge. In other words, he's trying to get across to us that praise and worship is not a downer. This is something that that produces a breakthrough in your life. He says, verse 2, Let Israel rejoice in Him that made Him. Okay, we've been made by Him, right? We were birth of His Spirit. That's us. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their King. That doesn't mean, you know, you, you put on a clown face and he's like, oh, I'm so happy, I'm so, you know. No, we're not talking fake stuff. We're talking genuine. You know, a lot of times people say, well, I'm just not in the mood and I'm not going to fake it. No, wait a second. Your spirit's in the mood. It's your flesh that's not. 
You know, quit being an old billy goat about this. Turn your spirit loose. God said, I'm looking for those that will worship me in spirit and in truth, not those that will worship me in your flesh and emotions. It's, you're not faking it. You're not. What you're doing is you're releasing out of your spirit that which God has put in there. Remember what he said over there in Lucifer? He said, you know, I put this in you. Okay, he's put it in us. We may not be all that great, every one of us playing instruments, but what comes out of our mouth is beauty. I remember one time I was in a service. And, uh, you know, people worshiping the Lord, praising the Lord, singing a song. I don't remember what song. But anyway, they were singing a song. And there was somebody in the congregation. And I mean, this person was getting with it. And they weren't always on pitch. And at times, it sounded more like wailing than, than singing. And I'm hearing that. And... At first, it was a little distracting because, I mean, this person was not holding back. But then I'm thinking about it. I thought, you know what? I'm going to rejoice in the beauty of what I'm hearing because that person doesn't care how flat, how sharp, how anything. That person is just wanting to worship God. And I thought, what a beautiful sound. What an absolutely beautiful sound. And some of you need to get over yourselves. Some of you, you're too afraid that you don't sound like a trained opera star. Well, who does other than a trained opera star? <laughs> I'm serious now. Because if this is what God is looking for, now I'm not saying you come in here and you scream in every service. while you. No, no, no. What I'm talking about is, you know what? Just worship. Just open up and do it. God is looking for it. And he continues here and he says, Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and the harp. Now I'm not going to go through and break down all the words and so forth, okay? But he says, For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Now, now I'm already born again. That's not the salvation he's talking about. He's talking about the praise and the worship it it enable it gives him an avenue through which he can work in our lives to produce deliverance. That's what this is talking about. It's not talking about I praise him and I get born again. No, he's talking about every aspect of salvation that I've promised to you, my children, if you will worship me, then I am going to be able to move through that worship to bring about in your life deliverance, salvation, and everything you need. This is what God is saying. And Christians that sit around and think, well, I just, I'm just tired of being like this. I'm just, I wish this would change. I wish it'd be like this. And God is saying, okay, here's a kingdom key. Do this. Just do this. Then he says, let the saints be joyful in glory. And then he says, let them sing aloud upon their beds. That means for those of you that fall asleep during the service. No, I'm not. <laughs> Can we get some new pews in here, Brother Mark? Now, this he's saying it's not just when you're together. It's also when you're alone. And then he says, Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. 
talking about the word. And again, not going off on tangents. Now, then he, then he begins verses one through six over and over again. He's saying, praise me, praise me, worship me, worship me, do this, do this, do this. I will move in your midst. I'll produce deliverance, produce salvation. I will do this. I'll do this. But there's another reason why you need to do this. To execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute upon them the judgment written. This honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. This isn't simply talking about, well, I will stop the liberals in their tracks. This is talking about spiritual warfare. This is talking about the powers, the principalities, the rulers of the darkness and so forth. He says, you do this. You praise me. You worship me like this. And one of the things it's going to do, it is going to take you into the fray of spiritual battle where you will see victory. Now he tells you right here what you're going to do. You'll execute vengeance upon the heathen, punishments upon the people. In other words, the things that God has said in Scripture relative to our victory over demonic spirits, he's saying you'll execute it as you praise and worship. And he says, you'll bind the kings with chains and their nobles with fetters. You know, you ever hear people, a lot of Christians go around saying, in the name of Jesus, I bind you, devil, I bind you, Satan. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Don't misunderstand me. But what? What I am saying is, according to the word of God, you can accomplish a lot of this through your praise and worship. You can bind the enemy through praise and worship and never even be talking to him. To execute upon them the judgment written. Well, who wrote it? <laughs> God. It's in here. It's like he's saying, okay, everything I've said in my word about doing warfare against the enemy of your soul, everything that I've written in here, you know what? You start praising me and you start worshiping me, it releases this out of my word against the enemy. It turns it loose. We engage in warfare. It's just amazing to me how a lot of Christians get the idea of spiritual warfare. How you got to go through all these gyrations and so forth. And you got to, well, I'm, I'm putting on my armor and, and all that, okay? You know what? Praising and worshiping God is one way to get fitted for your armor, if you want to put it like that. And what's amazing is this. Praising and worshiping God, He inhabits. And we're not even going to be thinking about the devils. We're going to be worshiping Him. And we don't realize that this worship is releasing an attack against the enemy. You know, I shared with you before, I'll share it again. And the Lord just reminded me of this. You know, years ago, we were in here worshiping, worshiping, worshiping. And as we were, I had this vision. How that the ceiling here in, in this building, the ceiling, like it disappeared. And as we were worshiping, it's like this glory, the glory of our praise and worship was rising up into the sky. But at the same time, the glory of the Lord was being released from heaven. And it was coming down like this, this, like a giant, you know, beam of, of brilliance. And it came, it was coming down and ours was going up and they met uh, like somewhere above the church here. They met, boom. And when they did, it was like a nuclear bomb went off. And all the demons in the area, they were just blasted away. And there was nothing they could do. They could not resist it. They could not stop it. It blew them away. And I saw them just like a, a super strong wind hits something and, you know, blows it off. That's what happened. That's what happened. And it can take place when you're at home as well. Not just here. 
There is warfare. If you want to see a, a version of this, we'll look over in Acts chapter 16. I was going to just reference it, but let's look at it. You'll see a, a brief illustration of this in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas, they've been arrested, they've been thrown in jail. And it says in verse 25, At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. <laughs> Paul and Silas were the only ones praising. They were the only ones. Who knows what all these other criminals had done? And their bands were loosed. You see this? What's going on in your home to where it seems like there are bands, there's bondage? What's going on? Maybe you ought to think about praising and worshiping God. Maybe you ought to think about doing warfare. This right here is an example of what God is saying back over there in Psalm 149. Spiritual warfare. This right here is an example. Every person in that prison got set free. Every single person. And not only that, but... This led to revival in the city of Philippi, and that church, the, the church that was established as a result, became one of the most stable churches in the entire New Testament. Now, the more we press in to God, the more we press in, the more our praise and worship is going to mature and develop. And you have seen that happen for the last few months. You've seen it right before your eyes take place. You've been a witness of it. I mean, you'd have to be blind to say, well, nothing's been going on. No, it has. You've seen it. And, and now is the time God wants this message delivered to let you know, here's what's happening. We're continuing to press into God. The, the 30 minutes of prayer on Sunday night, that's a part of this. That 30 minutes of prayer on Sunday night is directly directly coupled with the way our praise and worship has been maturing and developing in every service. It's been impacting it. Now the same thing is happening and will happen at the prayer center in Immokalee and the prayer center in Tulsa. Now along with that, and I haven't spoken to Pastor Bronk about this, but I know that in Tulsa the attendance has been diminishing. Well, You'd have to be blind not to notice that some of that's been happening here. You know what? That's, that's totally up to you. I'm not trying to bust your chops. I'm just telling you this is the way it is. There are going to be there are casualties as you press into revival. I'm not talking about physical casualties. I'm talking about people that are just not going to stay focused. And they're just not going to feel like being here. Well... The enemy's getting the upper hand. That's just the way it is. But there are people out there that are looking for this. I know that. Not me, not you. They're looking for what God is doing in this place. Now this whole thing of the praise and worship and the warfare, one of the best examples of this, other than what we just read in Acts, is over in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Now we won't read this entire passage but in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat is the king. And you have these like uh, these other three bad nations, they're invading. 
And Jehoshaphat seeks God. What do we do? They ended up, look here in verse 15. It says, and there was a, a, a prophet that stood up and delivered this word. Hearken ye all Judah and all ye inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou King Jehoshaphat. Now let me put it like this. Hearken ye all those who attend this church in person and all of you who watch by way of the internet and you, Pastor Jim. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid or dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. See that? As we begin to worship, what happens is this. We are opening up a path for God to begin to move and engage the enemy. Now what happened was this. Jehoshaphat... He said, okay, here we go. He gets the army, but then he puts the choir out first, the singers. And in verse 21 it says, When he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. So the worshipers went first. Now the people, well it says here in verse 22, And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against their enemy armies. He didn't do that until they started praising. Until they started singing. See, now, notice it. And when they begin to sing and to praise. It doesn't say when they began to play the instruments. You see this? When they opened their mouths and began to sing and praise. If, you're, if you do not open your mouth and engage... And guess what? What makes you think that the Lord is going to set ambushments on your behalf? What makes you think He can? Because repeatedly in Scripture, it's like He he gives us illustrations, and it's like He's saying, you praise and worship, I move. You praise and worship, it releases me, and I move. And the battle's not yours, it's mine. I'm your daddy. I step in, and I give him a whooping. And he says, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord moved. Well, they didn't know this. The people didn't know it. See, a lot of times what we're expecting is some kind of a physical sensation to know that God is doing something. I don't feel it. And God says, well, neither did they. (laughs) But they sure saw the results of it. When they showed up at the battlefield, the enemy soldiers were all dead. Thousands and thousands and thousands of dead soldiers. Now, you know when those people, the, the Jewish people showed up, they're looking at this and thinking, what? Because they didn't know for sure. And I don't know if 100% of, of the, the Jewish folks knew ever in their life what really happened. Some probably did, but I don't know if all of them did. But they show up and it's like, well, how did this happen? How did this happen? Look at this. They're all dead. Well, we might as well take all the stuff. It took them three days. Three days to carry away the booty. Three days. And they carried it away. And then, after they carried it away, look at this, verse 27. It says, when they returned, every man of Judah, Jerusalem, Jehoshaphat, the forefront of them, to go again to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies, and they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets under the house of the Lord. In other words, they praised before and they praised after. And victory was sandwiched in between. Warfare. This is one of the reasons why the praise and worship 
in churches like this will mature and develop as we keep pressing into God because it is a form of warfare to tear down strongholds for the increase of revival. This is why we need to do this. And it's not about performance. A lot of churches, good performance. But it has to be about praise and worship. It has to be out of the heart. See, this is... This isn't the opinion of a pastor. I'm showing you in Scripture these principles that God has established in His Word. And this is totally up to us. And, and again, you've been witnesses of the way that there's been a shift in our praise and worship in our services. It's not put on. It's not pre-planned. It's just happening. It will be different from service to service as the Lord leads. As the Lord moves. But I'm telling you right now, there's some of you, you're going through a bunch of garbage in your life. You, 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 you just, you're messed up. And I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to be cruel to you, but you've got junk going on in your life. It shouldn't be going on. And you're having emotional responses to things that really don't exist. It's a lie. But you don't see it like that. And so you feel like, well, everything stinks, everything's lousy, nothing's good, nobody likes me, and anymore I don't like anybody. I mean, all that kind of stuff. I'm telling you right now, you are being attacked by the enemy. And I, I, I listen, I've been there, and I know. If you want this to change, it's your decision. Totally yours. Because God has given to us, just like He did with Lucifer, He set in Him those abilities to release glory through praise and worship. Totally up to you. If you want this, if you want your life to change, if you want your conditions, your feelings, if you want this stuff that's going on, to be different, it's totally up to you. Nobody can do it for you. But if you will begin to praise and worship God, I'm telling you right now, it will begin to change. It, you may have to... I mean, I'm not, I'm not prophesying that the first five seconds of, Hallelujah, Jesus, I love you, I praise you. I'm not prophesying the first five seconds, boom, sunshine and roses. Because it's warfare. God's given us the victory through Jesus Christ, and one of the weapons of our warfare is praise and worship. Now, for us, as we continue to do this, the change is going to increase more and more. So will Satan's desire to stop it. That's one of the reasons some of you guys, you're going through junk. It's because Satan is trying to disrupt what God is doing here. To get us distracted. Well, you know what? We have to keep praising and worshiping and release that warfare against Him. And not get distracted by the stuff. And keep pressing in. Knowing full well, people will make their own choices. Praise God. Why don't you all go ahead and stand? Jesus, I love you. I praise you. I glorify your name. Jesus, I worship you. 
I worship you, Jesus. 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 Praise your name, Lord. Praise your name, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. I worship you. I worship you. I worship you. I glorify you, Jesus. I magnify your name, Jesus. I love you. 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 You guys keep worshiping. Keep worshiping. Keep worshiping. If you got something going on in your life right now that you don't like and you're not worshiping God, then you know what? You deserve every lousy moment of your life that you're going through. If you want this to change, if you want this breakthrough, you've got to open your mouth right now and you've got to begin to release this praise and worship unto God. It's totally up to you. God has made the way for you to be set free. God has made the way for you to be delivered. God has made the way for Him to move in your life. And if you don't want Him to, it's totally up to you. But if you want Him to, open your mouth right now and just begin to praise the Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. I worship you. I worship you. I worship you. I praise your name, Lord. I glorify your name. I magnify you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 Lord, I worship you, I worship you, I worship you, Jesus. Praise your name, praise you, Lord, praise you, Lord, praise you, praise you, Savior. I worship you, I worship you, I glorify your name. I magnify you, Jesus. I magnify you, Savior. I exalt you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Praise you, praise you, praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise your name. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Glory, glory, glory to your name, Lord. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Lord. I praise you. Your mercy endured forever. Glory, 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 glory to your name, Lord. Glory to you, Jesus. I love you. I love you. I worship you, Lord. I magnify your name. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. Lord, praise you, praise you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I praise your name, Lord. I glorify you, Jesus. I glorify you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Bless your name, Jesus. Bless your name, Jesus. The Lord says some of you have some demonic activity going on in your home. And I may, you may have suspected it or may not. But He is saying, go home. Go home. Take your authority. Exercise it over the devil. Praise and worship in your home. You do it. Not just play it in the background. But you do it. You do this warfare. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord. 
You said you don't know what to do. Now you know what to do. 